Second Chronicles chapter seven, page three hundred. If you use one of our Bibles, are you guys doing good this morning? Everybody, everybody okay? Um, great to be together. So on on Tuesday of this week, um, when we we're in the middle of snowmageddon, like for real this time, you know, like real snowstorm. You know, we decided we we're gonna go sledding with the family. And uh, we, were, we were born for this. You know, we love it. My wife had already ordered our sleds 10 days earlier. She'd watched the Ford cash. She bought them in faith, less on in faith, bought the sleds. That's why it snowed probably. So she, she buys these, these sleds and we get the snow and we decide we're gonna go, we're gonna go sledding. And there's this epic hill not too far from our house uh, where we live. And uh, so uh, we got in the van with our friends and we almost had a wreck trying to get to the hill. That's another story for another sermon. But just, just the adventure begun the moment we pulled out of our neighborhood and almost crashed and Janet and Will and several other people witnessed it and it was, it was amazing. But we didn't, we didn't crash. We get to the hill where we're going and uh, it, the, the hill to describe it, I'm gonna try to not preach your story this up for you. I wanna give you the most accurate depiction possible. It's probably about 450 feet long, not high, long, you know, like a football field and a half, just this epic downhill slope. And, and it has this really kind of steep drop in at the beginning, just made for moments like this. So I'm sitting on the top of this slope with my five-year-old son, Jack, and there's nothing between us and God's earth but a piece of manufactured plastic that we got off of Amazon for way too much money. But we're sitting there, he's in his sled and I'm in my sled. And he's getting ready to go for the very first time down this like epic hill. And I'm trying to tell him like, okay, hey, when you go down, you gotta watch out because right in the middle of the hill were these two like big white pipes like coming out of the ground. Because believe it or not, this hill was not made just for snow days. Like, so there's these pipes and then over off to the side, there's this tree that had been cut down that's kind of operating like a shiv, you know, just like these spikes coming out of it. And the folks that laugh, they're the ones that have been in prison. Everybody else like, what's a shiv? Like, I don't know that it's... <laughs> something sharp to impale you. There's trees, you know, there's this ditch filled with rocks and like rebarb and metal and all this. And then at the end is the street, you know, and I'm like, so if you're still going at this point, Jack, like if you haven't been impaled, if you haven't made a tree, like there's the street. And when you get to the street, you have to roll out. And I'm like telling him how to roll out. And, and I'm just giving him the rundown on how to go down this, this hill. And he looks at me and it's just this beautiful moment. He says, dad, are you sure this is going to be fun? Like, like, like are, are you sure? are you sure this journey is like gonna be worth it? And, and it was like such a great question. Like, I don't know if you've ever been there before, like at the beginning of a new adventure, like sitting at the top of whatever your proverbial hill is. But have you ever noticed that before every great adventure, there are these things that you have to decide whether or not you have the courage to navigate them? And have you ever noticed that uh, like there are these moments in life where you're getting ready to step into something and, and you look at it and all you can see are the challenges that await you? And kind of like my son, I've been there so many times where I find myself, all I can see is the challenges and I start asking the question, is all of the hard work going to be worth it? Like, is this hard work going to be worth it? I remember experiencing this a year ago, we moved into a new house and we were having to redo some things on the house and it took a ton of work. And I remember about a, a week into it, as we were beginning to demo things, Sydney and I were just talking, we're like, is this hard work going to be worth it? Like, is it gonna be worth it? Is it gonna be a return on this investment? Or some of you that are in college, you know, you came into college and you knew it's like, man, this is gonna be my major. This is gonna be the direction. This is what I'm gonna do. And have you ever noticed every semester the classes get harder? The internship requirements get harder. Uh, stepping into that career gets harder. And you find yourself asking the question, is it what? Is it gonna be worth it? Like, is all the hard work gonna be worth it? Am I ever gonna pay back those student loans? Spoiler alert, you won't. Like, you know... <laughs> You won't, it's okay, just pay them off slowly, you'll die before they're done, it's okay. But is it gonna be worth it? That's the question we ask. Happens in way more serious things. I think about one of my good friends a few years ago, he and his wife, 
they were really struggling in their marriage and they got to this point in their marriage where they had figured out how to be functional roommates in a way that the kids hadn't picked up on. And they thought, hey, we can, we can do this. We can be roommates. We can bless the kids. We can hang on. But there's this, this moment where they're sitting there going, that's not why we signed up for this. That's not the kind of marriage we wanna have. That's not what we got into. So they went to this counselor and they thought, let's, let's, let's get to the better place together. And the counselor says, yes, you can definitely have a better marriage, but it's gonna take two to three years of some really hard work. And I remember our friends coming back and they're sitting at our, our kitchen table and they're literally just asking the question, hey, we see the potential, but we don't know that it's worth the hard work. We've all been there before, right? Like where you find yourself on the beginning of something great, but before you get to the something great, there's some things that you have to take care of. And so often those things that you have to take care of are hard and you find yourself as people just going, man, is the hard work going to be worth it? You know, we've been in this month of preparing ourselves, not just for what God's gonna do in the month of February, but for this next season as a church. And we've been doing a lot of heart work. We've been, we've been looking at our hearts. We've been looking at what does it look like to step out of the shallow end of cultural Christianity, but to really know God with intimacy. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not yet, but have you, have you picked up on the reality that sometimes the heart work is the hard work? That sometimes like getting all the way down to the heart really dealing with the stuff that you don't wanna deal with. Sometimes the heart work is the hardest work. And we all find ourselves at this place where we're sitting at the top of the proverbial hill and we're going, is the hard work of dealing with my heart and bringing it into the presence of God, is there going to be a good return on that investment? And this morning, I just wanna talk about the joy that comes to you when you have the courage to say, you know what, I'm willing to do the hard work so that God can in my heart and on the other end of it, we'll see what it is that he has in store. There's this, this moment from the life of Solomon we're gonna look at this morning, this one verse. I, I love this verse. But if you know anything about Solomon, Solomon, his dad was King David. There's a, so many stories there with it, who his dad was, but he comes into power. And I love this early on in Solomon's life, you get this picture of what Solomon was passionate about. He was passionate about God's people encountering God's presence in a very real way. Like Solomon did not want the people of his country to keep walking with God in the midst of dead ritualistic religion. And so one of the first things Solomon does is he gets all the people together. One of his first things he does in office is he calls the nation together and they seek the presence of God. He spends the next portion of his career as king preparing a temple, building a temple, building an altar. He's preparing this place so that the people of his country can encounter the presence of God. And then you get to 2 Chronicles chapter six and he, he prays this prayer. And it's in this prayer that, that you see this collision of both his passion and this preparation. He says, God, would you fill that which has been prepared for you? He says, we've built this temple, we've created this space, like God, we've, we've tried to clear out the things in our life that are keeping us from you. Would you fill that which has been prepared? And I, I don't know about you, I've been praying that this last month. Because we're getting ready to go into this season together, just seeking God in a fresh way. We've been preparing our hearts, and I'm like, God, would you fill every heart that has been prepared for you in this season? And God comes to, to Solomon in this moment. Look at your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. He, he comes to Solomon in this moment. In the middle of this, this plea, Solomon's like, I'm not sure that all of the hard work of preparation is gonna be worth it, God. I'm not sure that all the hard work of coming after you is gonna be worth it. And this is God's response, verse 14. He says, Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, 
then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. I'm gonna read that one more time. He says, Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and if they will pray and if they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will hear their land. Solomon goes, God, I've been preparing, I've been doing all this hard work, is the hard work gonna be worth it? And God says, I wanna show you just how worth it it's gonna be. He says, I wanna show you the blessing that comes. And kind of for the majority of our time, I wanna talk about the joys that I think await you as you walk with God in deeper ways. But, but before we get there, uh, you have to notice two really significant words from this verse. I don't know if you write in your Bibles or underline in your Bibles, but there are two words that this, this whole promise from God hinges upon. And it's the word that starts the verse, the word if, and the word then that the whole verse hinges on as you get to the middle of it. God says, if my people will be willing to step into some hard things. He says, then I will bless my people in ways you can never imagine. God says, if you'd be willing to, to step in, if you'd be willing to do some of the, the difficult heart work, he says, then I will do things in you and through you and among you that you can never imagine. Now, here's what I want you to notice. If you've tuned me out, please tune me back in. Because if you mishear me on this, you'll, you'll find yourself entering into some sort of legalistic heresy here. And I don't, I don't want that on my head, okay? So uh, I want you to notice this. The Bible is so clear that the love of God is absolutely unconditional. The love of God is unconditional. In other words, God loves you because he's God. <laughs> because he is love. Because he is perfect. Because he is good. His love towards you it does not fluctuate. It's not like high tide and low tide. Oh, you're being good right now. The love of God is with you. Oh, you're screwing things up. The love of God has departed. The love of God is unconditional because God is God. Does that make sense? Can I shake your heads if you're following me on that? Like, like that's who God is. He loves you because he is and because you are. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world because the world deserved it. No, that's not how it goes, right? For God so loved the world because he's God. And he gave us one and only son. So the love of God is unconditional. But here's what I want you to see is there are moments in the scriptures where the blessings of God come with a set of conditions. His love is unconditional, but there are moments when the deeper blessings of God, the joy of God, the life of God comes with a set of requirements. Now that flies in the face of our American Christianity. We don't know what to do with that, but, but we, we know what this looks like in human realms, I've got three kids, and I love my kids equally, I love them to death. Parents can attest to this. There is nothing my boys could ever do that would shake them from my love. Like, I love them. The love is unconditional, but there are times when their ability to experience the blessing of their parents comes with a set of conditions. So the other night, we're, we're sitting there, and uh, we're getting ready to have family movie night, popcorn, peanut M&M's, Coke, just in case you need to visualize it. We're gonna watch something on Netflix. Told the kids, hey, if, if you do what we ask you to do, we'll let you stay up late, we'll eat junk food, we'll watch a movie. And so two of my kids were just being crazy, just jumping off the walls, we're like, hey, would you, would you chill? And we gave them like 41 different warnings, you know, because I'm a pushover, you know, and I'm like, come on, would you calm down? They, they weren't doing it. So eventually I said, hey, if, if you do it again, if you do it again, you don't get movie night. And two of our boys did it again. So I sent him to bed, and the, and the other son stayed up late, and he ate popcorn and Coke and candy, watched the movie. Um, now, did I love the one that was acting good better than I loved the one that wasn't? 
sometimes. No. <laughs> but I'm not God. You know, God's better than me. Did, did I love him more? No, no. But because he was willing to walk out what we'd asked him to do, he experienced a blessing that his brothers didn't get. And there's this moment where God said, hey, listen, I've got a blessing for any of you that are willing to push off the top of the hill and navigate some of the landmines. I've got a blessing for any of you that are willing to do some of the hard stuff. He says, if, if you'll be willing to do what I ask you, then there's something coming your way. And so what is it that he asked us to do? He says, if my people, look at this, if my people will humble themselves, will humble themselves, if they'll seek my face and pray, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, he says, he says, this is what I require. I don't want your dead religion. I don't want your new set of rituals. I'm not asking for behavior modification. What I'm asking for is a humble heart. Do you realize the only thing between you and the deeper things of God is a humble heart? God says, here's what I want from you. I want a humble heart. I want a heart that's moldable, movable, open to what it is that I'm doing in your life. And he goes on to define what a, mar- what a heart marked by humility looks like. He says, a heart that's marked by humility is a heart that is willing to let go of some things. He says, in other words, he says, you have to turn away from your wicked ways if you want to experience this deeper blessing. He's talking to the people of God here. He's not talking to the broken culture. He's talking to the church. He says, but there's some things. It's what we talked about last week, so I'm not going to go into it too far. He says, there's some things in you. There's some secret sins. There's some, there's some behaviors that you're trying to hold on to and smuggle into the kingdom of God. And God says, hey, as long as you keep doing that, you're gonna miss out on the greater joy. He says, if my people would humble their hearts and part of humbling your heart means you have to, to let go of some things. Or as the Bible sometimes says to repent. You know, for so much of my life, I thought repentance was simply feeling sorry about all the bad things that I've done. And I thought, okay, if I'm gonna be repentant, I need to feel bad for all the ways that I've screwed life up. And I want you to hear me clearly. Repentance is not you feeling bad for what you've done. That's a gateway to repentance. A lot of times that emotion is what leads you into repentance. Repentance, though, is not feeling bad for what you've done. A lot of people feel bad for what they've done, but they keep doing those things. Repentance is feeling bad enough about what you've done that you turn from those things and you quit doing them. And you choose to do something better. I learned this uh, from my wife, Sydney. She taught me so much about repentance. We've been married for 13 years. And kind of the way that it works in our house is Sydney cooks, um, not because she's a woman, but because she's the only one capable in our house of cooking. I burn microwave popcorn. I can't cook anything. So she cooks and I do the cleaning and that's just kind of our arrangement. And so for the first 12 years of our marriage, we'd have this point of conflict because she would cook and I would clean and then I'd put all the dishes back in the wrong place. And so the next day she'd get ready to cook and she couldn't find anything that she needed. And she'd come to me and she's like, Dave, I need you to put everything in the right place. And for the first kind of few years we were married, I was just so marked with pride. I was like, who are you to say that that's where they go? It's my kitchen too. You know, I want to put the pan in the bathroom bedroom, you know, like in the closet, you know, like, why do you get to choose? And I just had this prideful heart. I know you're better than me and you've never done anything like that in your life before, but I struggled. And then there was this point in our marriage where I got past my pride and all of a sudden genuine sorrow would come in because I realized, oh man, this, every time I do this, it makes her life more difficult. But the problem was I kept doing it. And I'll never forget earlier this year. I mean, we're 12 years into this marriage. Look at how prideful and broken I am. 12 years of the same sin. Like 12 years into this and uh, I'd put the dishes in the wrong place and Sydney comes in. She's like, Dave, why do you keep doing this? And, and, uh, and I, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She says, I don't need you to feel sorry. 
She said, I need you to be sorry enough that you change. I need you to be sorry enough that you quit doing it. God's like, I don't want you to just feel sorry that you keep sleeping around. I don't want you to feel sorry that you're gossiping. I don't want you to be sorry that you're filling your mind with junk and you're calling it entertainment. I don't want you to feel sorry that you step on others to get what you want. I don't want you to feel sorry. I want you to feel sorry enough to what? To change, to change, to move. He says, if my people would humble themselves, humble their hearts, and part of humility requires the people of God to say, there are some things in our lives that we need to let go of. But humility is not just about what we let go of, it's what we also step into. He says, he says it's not just that I need you to leave some things behind. He says, he says, I want you to step into some things. I want you to seek my face. I want you to pray, I want you to come to me, like get nose to nose, come to know me. God says, I don't want the the dead ritualistic religion. I want relational intimacy. This is a requirement. It's what we talked about extensively the last two weeks. He says, I've got a blessing for you, but that blessing requires you to do the hard work of heart work. Humble your heart. Leave some things behind. Step into some things. And he says, and then watch the blessings. Look back at the verse, verse 14. He says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, would they seek my face and pray, if they would turn from their wicked ways, then, then, here comes a blessing. He says, he says, then I will hear from heaven. He says, then I will forgive their sins. Then I will heal their land. I want you to notice, this is not an exhaustive list of ways that God blesses us when we seek him more passionately. But this is a pretty amazing picture of what God has in store for you at the bottom of the hill if you're willing to do the the difficult work of pushing off and navigating the roadblocks of your own heart. He gives kind of three blessings here. I don't know if you take notes, but I just want you to notice this first first two blessings are for the people of God and the third one is for the culture that they find themselves in. And the first blessing is this. He says, if you would humble your heart, what you would get is the undivided attention of God. You would get God's undivided attention. You would have an audience with God. Now, um, hear me on this because this flies in the face of cultural Christianity. But this is what the Bible says, okay? And it's important that you see this. The Bible is clear that God is not very responsive to the prayers of prideful hearts. God is not very responsive to the prayers of prideful hearts. All throughout the Bible, he says this. He says, if you come to me and you ask, if you treat me like a cosmic gumball machine and prayers the quarter and you try to to twist it to get what you want, like God says, listen, if you come to me with that posture, he says, I'm not very responsive to that. He says, when a person comes to God and, and, and he or she doesn't have any interest in living a holy life or walking into the will of God, God is not sitting around. He is not your cosmic butler just sitting there waiting for you to ring the bell so he can come do what you want him to do. And there's some of you going, man, I don't know that I have God's attention. God says, if you want my attention, it starts with a humble heart. And, and, and the Bible says over and over and over is that God is not that responsive to prayers prayed from prideful hearts. I remember reading uh, first, through 1 Peter a few years ago. I got to 1 Peter chapter 3. And there's this verse in verse 7 where God's speaking to husbands. He says, husbands, if you mistreat your wives, I'll quit listening to your prayers. Did you know that's in the Bible? Some of you men are going, man, I have not heard the voice of God in a while. I'd say, Maybe you should check in with your wife and just say, how, how am I doing? How am I doing? In the Bible, it's, it's kind of a heavy truth that, that God is not very responsive to the prayers of a prideful heart. But the, the far more beautiful truth that you see here in this verse is that the moment that heart is humbled, the moment that heart turns, you have the audience of God. 
You have the attention of God. It's like when my boys, they'll come in to our presence sometimes and they'll ask us for things and they'll be whining. And Sydney and I have this phrase that we use. We say, hey, kids, we can't hear whining. And we're not saying we can't physically hear it. Dear God, I wish that was true. You can pray that for me. That I wish I went physically deaf when my kids whined, but um, I, I, I don't. But what, what we're saying is, hey, we're not responsive to that kind of posture. Like if you, come in, if you come to your mom or you come to your dad and, and you come with arrogance and entitlement and you come demanding, it's like, I'm not responsive to that. So I say, hey, like, like, let's try this again. And the moment they come to me with a humble heart, I get down on a knee, I look them face to face. And this, this, is what, this is what God is saying. He's saying, hey, listen. He says, if my people would humble themselves. Look at the blessing. He says, you get an audience with God, undivided attention of God. And yet, if you have the audience of God, do you need an audience with anybody else? He says, come to me. You know, some of you, uh, or most of us, we're not very important in the grand scheme of human history. Like, you couldn't get the mayor on the phone today if you called her. Some of you could, but there's a ceiling even to your own importance. But God says, a humble heart is a magnet for the attention of God. And the moment you humble your heart, the one that spoke the Rocky Mountains into existence and carved out the Pacific Ocean with his voice. The God that's keeping all things still pays attention to you. Wow. And all it requires is just a little bit of humility. He says, here's the blessing. You get the, the full attention to God. The second blessing, he says, my people would humble themselves and seek my face and pray, turn from their wicked ways. He says, then I'll hear their voice from heaven. First blessing. Second blessing, he says, and then I'll forgive their sins. I'll forgive their sins. Some of you are going, wait, I, th I thought that happened with Jesus. Yeah, it did. It did, but here's the beauty. Here, here's the declaration. He's saying, you will begin to experience the weight of this unbelievable gift that is called forgiveness. See, all of us, we've been born on the other side of the cross, and so a lot of us, we treat the gift of forgiveness as though it's something that came to us cheaply. I remember growing up, my grandmother, like in her early years of life, she didn't have electricity in her house, and she'd always talk about just what it was like to be a little kid and go from no electricity to electricity. And she'd try to tell me that as I was playing my Game Boy or my Game Gear, and I had no appreciation for the blessing of always being born into a place with electricity. You have only known life on the other side of God's unmerited grace that was poured out on the cross of Jesus Christ, which is amazing. The downside of that is a lot of times we don't understand the richness of forgiveness that's been made available to you in Jesus. And he says, when you humble your hearts, when you come into the presence of God, it's not just that you have an audience with him, it's that you begin to understand the reason and the significance and the beauty of what it looks like to walk at ease, to be at peace with God who's forgiven you. I, I encourage you to try something. I did this over Christmas break. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it's called a sin inventory. I know it needs better branding. That doesn't sound very fun. But over Christmas break, I, I got out a journal and I decided I was gonna do a sin inventory of my own life. Like an accountant looks over the books, I was gonna look over my own sins. And I went back and I took four or five days in a row and I just wrote down as many sins as I could uh, you know, remember. And I got carpal tunnel, I was so tired of writing. You know, they just, the list was so long. If you ever do this, burn the notebook so nobody can find it when you're done. But I, I wrote out every sin that I could remember, not for the purpose of feeling shame, but so I could behold the magnitude of the forgiveness that had been extended to me. See, a lot of us, we don't understand the weight of the gift that we've been given in forgiveness because we've never humbled ourselves before the Lord to recognize just how badly we needed to be forgiven. See, a lot of us think we need Jesus, the great life coach, Jesus, the great 
you know, like GPS system. No, it's like we need Jesus the Savior. <laughs> we need Jesus, the, 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 the one to put us back together. And he says, listen, he says, if my people would humble themselves, they'd get my undivided attention. He says they would experience the joy in the life that comes with forgiveness. And he says, and then there's a third blessing that isn't for my people specifically, but it goes beyond them. Look at this, verse 14. He says, and I will heal their land. You realize that when the church gets right with God, God doesn't just bless the church, but he blesses the culture that the church finds itself in. And I don't need to convince any of us that our culture needs to be blessed, right? Like every day we are reminded of our own sexist tendencies, of our own abusive tendencies, of our own racist tendencies, of our own nationalistic tendencies. We're, we're reminded at every step of the way just how divided we are. And like the psalmist in Psalm 11, verse three, a lot of times the church is going, hey God, when the culture's broken down, what should the righteous do? And I love this because in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, he says, the righteous begin by getting right with me. And when the church gets right with me, the blessing is never contained in the church. He says, but I also begin bringing about healing in the land. There's so many stories I could tell you this. One of my favorites comes um, from the late 1800s. I a guy named Charles Finney. He lived in New York City. He's a business guy. And yeah, you go up and you can look up his story. It's told by both religious historians and secular historians. It's true. There's so many things. Just amazing life. But uh, when he came to this point where he just kind of fed up with the brokenness of his culture, the brokenness and the apathy of the church. And so he and six friends decided they would get together Six friends on lunch break, and they would pray that God would heal and bless and do the hard work in their hearts, and then that God would do something in the culture. Over the next 12 months, 100,000 adults in the city of New York came to Jesus. Crime rates went down, marriages were restored, people were healed. It sounds so crazy, most of us don't even believe it, but six people said, you know what, we're gonna humble ourselves before the Lord. And as soon as they started getting right with God, the blessing of God began to pour out. Think about it on a much closer level. You know, last year, our family, we, we lived in an amazing neighborhood not too far from here. And the, the neighborhood was uh, just kind of this interesting neighborhood because half of the neighborhood was up and coming. Half of the neighborhood um, was still pretty under-resourced. And our next door neighbor was this amazing woman. She was born in that neighborhood. She had lived there for 50 years. In the first 25 years of her life, she had just run from the Lord, didn't know God. But she, she came to know Jesus and God began doing just amazing things in her heart. Part of her story was she had had a kid when she was really young, before she was married, didn't know how to raise the kid. And there's all these areas of brokenness that were connected to that. But God begins to heal her life, begins to heal some of the things in her own uh, kind of biological relationships. So she decides that she's gonna be a blessing to this neighborhood that she now lives in, where the average age of a first-time mother is 15 years old. She's like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. She says, but this is the journey of healing that God's brought me on. So she just started walking the neighborhoods, looking for young girls to mother looking for young girls to, to care for. And over the years, literally, she has helped hundreds of young girls make the choice not to abort their child. She's helped hundreds of young mothers make the decision, do I put it up for adoption or do I raise the kid? And she's helped hundreds of young mothers walk with their kids towards faith in Jesus. Like, what happens when the church gets right? The culture in the neighborhood gets healed. And what God wants to do in you will never just stay in you. Can you imagine? Do you have the ability to imagine what would happen if you would be willing to do the hard work of humbling your heart before God? He says, man, you'll have my attention. He says, oh my goodness. You'll walk with me with a sense of peace and shalom that you never imagined through forgiveness. And he says, and I'll even bring about healing in the land. And God knows, man, we need it.
Okay, so I, 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 we find ourselves here. We're kind of at the end of this season of preparation. And, and next week, you know, when we gather back together on Sunday, we're, we're gonna begin this next step uh, of going deeper, doing this heart work where we humble our hearts before the Lord. And, and the truth is some of this work is going to feel hard. Some of this work is gonna require you to let go of some things. I just wanna speak with love as candidly as I know how to speak to you. There, there's some of you right here in church and right now, not right now in this moment, but you're in a season where you're having sex with people that you're not married to. And I just wanna tell you, that's not God's best for you. Just lay it aside. Lay it aside and see what God has for you. Some of you, it's not that you're having sex with somebody that you're not married to. You've just gotten caught in the trap of sexualizing everybody. You see everybody as an object to be consumed. For some of you, it's just, I just wanna challenge you, just, just lay it aside. Ask God to help you leave that way of seeing his creation behind in this season. For some of you, it's the way that you speak. You know, you're, you're liars. You don't mean to be. You're like me. You just exaggerate everything. And, and I think it's funny, but I'm like, no, that's lying. Or your gossips, or you're cynical and you're jaded. You love to just tear people down. You love to poke holes in the system. I just want to challenge you. Just, just leave those things behind in this season. Let some, of those, let some of those things go. You know, for some of you, maybe it's substances that you're using to numb the pain or to have fun or whatever it is. You're still smoking pot, still drinking too much. Uh, you're still medicating with shopping. Every time something goes poorly, you, you, you go to Target, you know, you get on Amazon, you, you, you go to the mall, you buy something to make yourself feel better. Listen, I, I'm saying this out of love. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm telling you, there is no, maybe no person in here that, more consistently screws things up than me. I'm just telling you, God's got more for you. God's got more for you, and he won't let you smuggle those old things into your new life. There's gonna be some things that you have to let, lay beside, leave behind, let go of. And for some of you, you've just made a habit of every night you get home and you just, you veg out on entertainment, that's what you call it but it's filled with terrible language and with violence and with nudity and you've tried to convince yourself that it doesn't affect you because the story's good, I just wanna tell you, that's not true. You're made for more than that. And renewal starts with your mind. And I go, this is gonna be a month where we're gonna do some of the hard work of heart work, but in order to get to the hard work of heart work, there's just some things you gotta let go of. And for some of us, it's gonna feel really hard. But God says, hey, on the other side of it, it's not just about what you're letting go of, it's about what you're leaning into. It's about what you're stepping into. And there is unthinkable blessing on the other side of this. You know, I, I wanna challenge you, starting next Sunday, just a few things. I wanna give you just a few practicals. Starting next Sunday, I wanna challenge every one of you to take the next 30 days, the whole month of February, basically, and to seek God with your time in a more intentional way. You know, they created this resource. You can go on ethoschurch.org. You can download this. This is a, it's a prayer guide. It's a prayer journal that I created just to kind of help you get the conversation started, not just between you and God, but with you and your family. You can download it, you can pull it up on your phone, you can print it off. Here's what I wanna challenge. I wanna challenge every person in our church starting next Sunday, you can do it before, but starting next Sunday to say, God, for an entire month, we're gonna leave some of those old things behind and we're gonna give you the first fruits of our attention and we're just gonna see what you do. I just wanna challenge you to do that. Uh, starting next week, we're gonna go on this 30-day journey of, of praying together and just asking God to open our hearts. Next Sunday at five o'clock, we're gonna have a 24-hour prayer vigil. It's just to kick off this season together. 
It's gonna start at 5 p.m. on Sunday. It's gonna go to 5 p.m. on Monday. We're gonna have people upstairs in this building who are just gonna be praying for you and your hearts and our city and our nation, asking that God would help us to step into some of these hard things for the sake of our hearts being set free in God. I wanna invite you, just pick an hour or two hours or three hours or 24 hours and come up and to pray. We'll have the prayer guide online so you can join us from a distance as well. That's how we're gonna begin our journey together. I wanna invite you in this next season, starting next Sunday, uh, to, to fast. For some of you, it'll be fasting from a meal each week or fasting from food one day a week or fasting every day from sunup to sundown or fasting from social media or fasting from sarcasm. Some of you could use that or you know, fasting from media or social media. There's different things, but what we're doing together is we're saying, hey God, for a time, we want to just come after you with a level of intentionality. And it's not a competition. We're not trying to outdo each other in how spiritual we are. I'm not asking you to take my next step. I'm just asking you to take your next step. And for some of you, just setting aside Instagram for a month and giving that time to God will change your life. And if it doesn't, go back to doing what you're doing right now. <laughs> but I wanna challenge you to fast. If you've never fasted before, you don't know how to do this. Uh, there's, a, there's an ebook that we've created. It's online, it's free. Uh, you can download it. You, you put it up on your phone. It'll take you 45 minutes to read through it. Um, I know because I know some of you aren't readers, so I read it out loud. I recorded it. There's also an audiobook if you don't like to read. If you're allergic to reading, you can download the audiobook. Listen to it on the way to work. And it's just designed just to help you just identify, hey, here's how we're gonna take a step together. Because what I'm convinced is we all want revival out there, but revival starts in here. And until we're willing to take that step, God, what would you have us let go of? What would you have us lean into? And so here we are, we're sitting at this proverbial crossroads. We're sitting at the top of the hill. We're with God the Father. He says, listen, I know there's gonna be some things to navigate as we go down the hill. It's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. And I believe that what God wants to do in us collectively will be the byproduct of what you're willing to let him do in you individually. And I just wanna pray a prayer over you that God would give you the courage to see how worth it he is and just what he wants to do in your life. I wanna invite you, if you feel comfortable, grab the hand of the person next to you. I'm gonna pray over you. God, thank you for the gift that you give us of allowing us to simultaneously not be held back by the relationships around us when it comes to our ability to know you. You know, God, uh, some of us came from terrible families. Uh, we have friends that aren't seeking you right now. And God, our ability to know you is not dependent on those people knowing you. And so God, what a gift it is to be able to come to you as individuals. And yet at the same time, God, you tell us that when we come to you communally, that there is this like exponential blessing. And God, I'm just praying that you would help us to believe that, that you'd help us to see that, that you'd help us step into it. God, I pray that this week you'd help us to identify the things we need to let go of, the things we need to step into. That God, you'd give us the courage to name those steps, to take those steps. But more than anything, God, I pray that what we would experience is that threefold blessing that comes when we choose to humble our hearts before you to seek your face in prayer, to turn from our wicked ways. God, would you do immeasurably more in the life of every man and woman and child in this room? God, would you do immeasurably more for all of those that are joining us online right now and on the podcast? God, would you give us the courage to step into the if so we can experience your then? God, you can do this. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. And I thank you, amen.